Sonic State.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sonic Talk number 213. Uh, this is our live show going out live today. Wednesday, 4pm. Uh, today is, what is today? Today must be about the 30th of March. That's right, the Ides of March themselves. So welcome everybody. Um, we are live and direct streaming. If you're not watching or you're listening, you, you can check us out at 4pm uh, UK time, sonicstate.com forward slash live, but not next week because next week, Next week is Music Messer. So I want to say hello and everybody, uh, welcome to everybody in the chat room. We've got a nice, fulsome chat room and we've got a nice, fulsome participatory panel. This is like our celebrity squares. What's, what's the American alternative to this layout? Somebody said it's the Brady Bunch or what was it? <laughs> I don't know what it is because I, that, that's a reference I don't get. But anyway, welcome one and all. Um, I'll start over here to my right with uh, Rich Hilton from Connecticut, uh, who's wearing uh, wearing lovely blue. It looks like it's tie dye T shirt there. That's kind of that's a uh, very fetching, Rich. Well, thank you. Ha- uh, I didn't get the memo. I didn't get the memo about the black shirts today, so I went. Oh no, of course. Well, <laughs> it does look like we're all rather color coordinated, but uh, surely it's. It, I assure you, it's just an accident. Really is just an accident. So Rich, of course, is a studio guy, producer, engineer, all things. In fact, just about to be a live performer. You're off to Japan fairly shortly with Sheikah, I understand, right? Yep, that's true. Looking forward to it. Can't wait. Ah, well, that's going to be really good. When are you going, exactly? Uh, The 10th of April, we leave. Wow, right. So, yeah. Rocking. Well, sure. uh, and that's the, your um, yearly pilgrimage to the Blue Note uh, in Tokyo, right? There will be a pilgrimage, indeed. A 10-show, uh, five-consecutive-night pilgrimage, um, which will be bracketed by a show at the Cotton Club two nights previous and ended with a show someplace in Osaka called Club Quattro two nights after. Wow, so you're going to be busy. Yeah, I expect to be. Yeah, cool, yeah. <laughs> All right, and also I will go over to my left here, where I'm talking to uh, Mark Tindley, likebeing.com, sound designer, artist, creative thinker. How are uh, you, Mark? I'm very well. I think I'm very well. Oh, I um I did a speech last night for the Toastmasters International Speaking Competition. I I didn't win, but I started <laughs> my speech with I want to alert you to a voice you are so identified with that you think it's you. Wow. And then I started thinking about it, and then I had a bit of an existentialist embolism, and now I actually think that the world uh, only exists because I'm thinking about it, and I'm trying to find any um, scientific experiments that can prove otherwise. So actually, I want you to know that this is my podcast this week. Okay. You're only actually, all of you are only there. Because, because, because you're, you're thinking, right, okay, I understand. I Look, I've, I've created a chat room through thought. Wow. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Feel the power of Tindley and go and check it out at likebeing.com. This is also on the interweb he also created <laughs> via the thought process. Underneath me right here is uh, PJ Tracy, who uh, sadly has not got with us with video, but apparently it's coming soon. PJ Tracy, Emmy-winning PJ Tracy, pjtracymusic.com. How are you? I'm great, Nick. I just wanted to let you know that I'm also wearing black today. Really? <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, <laughs> so in in your mind's eye, you can you can see me wearing a black button-down shirt as well. You know what, Mark? Nearly got it right, but Rich, you're 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 obviously you are unable to uh, to resist. You're able to the resist the force of Tinley, and you were not 
created in black, just in blue this week. So. <laughs> No, no, this is how Mark created me. Ah, okay. Well, Mark, you, uh, <laughs> you, you, you slipped up there, unless it was purposeful. Anyway, uh, PJ, welcome to you. I'm glad to have you aboard. And uh, I'll go up, upstairs to, uh, to there, where we're looking at a kind of behooded Dave Spears. <laughs> He's all kind of hooded up. You look a bit like Kenny from South Park. That's exactly what I was trying to achieve. Thank you. <laughs> They killed Kenny. Mark, concentrate. Don't kill me. <laughs> Don't kill Kenny. G4 Software, of course. Um, Dave is uh, up to many good things, uh, one of which will, will, well, many of which will result him in not being at next week's Music Messer, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what can I say? Not going. We're getting there. The lucky, we are getting lucky there. man. And, of course, up here, and I, uh, as I raise my arm skyward, we have Gaz Williams, resident... Producer, Welsh guy living in Bristol. How are you, Matt? How are you, mate? You all right? <laughs> yeah, especially thank you very much. Jolly yeah. good. Yeah. Well, um, where to start? Where to start? I mean, there's a number of different things that we've got on the cars today. I think Rich has just dropped off there. He may well come back he in appears, a second. Yeah, he appears to have changed his shirt. Uh, do you think he's just gone? <laughs> do you think he's gone for a change? No, he hasn't. He's back again. Hello, he's back. <laughs> we thought you'd switched off the video to change your third shirt and put on a blue. <laughs> <laughs> Why no? <laughs> Excellent, Rich. Right, and now let me see what I've got here. I'm going to have to. I'm, I'm going to play you a little bit of uh, a little bit of this to, to get us going. The way we got the idea for this experiment was I went to a concert and I was hearing one of my favorite pieces, the Mozart Piano Concerto, and it just left me flat. And I thought, well, how can that be? You know, it's got this beautiful set of notes. The composer wrote this beautiful piece. What is it the pianist is doing to mess this up? And I spoke with one of my doctoral students about it, Anjali Batara, and she was very interested in the question also and how we might pursue this with the techniques of a modern psychological laboratory. I could go on there. Rich, I'm guessing this is something that you might have a great interest in. Um, I hope it is, because I actually meant to play something completely different. I was going to play the, <laughs> the first topic, which was additive synthesis, but for some reason I pressed the wrong button. Look where it got me. <laughs> so perhaps I won't come to you first, because I may have got that completely wrong. Um, but this was an interesting piece that was posted uh, um, from McGill psychology professor Daniel Le. Le- Levitin, I think I've got that pronounced right. And um, he was basically trying to study how emotion and, uh, and feeling was, in, was imparted into music. And it was a very interesting piece. It's, a, it's, it's more descriptive. He doesn't go into much technique. But I, I think basically what they did is they took uh, MIDI recordings from some beautiful things that were played very well or considered to be played well and then straightened them up uh, with different degrees of straightening, put them on the clavinova, which they got a bunch of Yamaha clavinovas, and played them back for people in a room. And to, to try and kind of di- find out what it what were the actual factors that made people feel the emotion and the feeling of the music. It was quite an interesting thing. I noticed, uh, PJ, because you've taken, t- spoken about this guy before, because he wrote the uh, This Is Your Brain on Music, which I think you've recommended to us, right? Yes. Did you, uh, what did you make of this? Do you think, this, does this reinforce more stuff that's in the book, or is there kind of, do you think he's, he's, he's off track? Um, I'll be honest. I, I didn't get a chance to read his article, so I'm not. I'm not exactly sure. Maybe you know if you outline some of the factors. 
um, that he mentioned <laughs> in this article. Well, th- there was uh, there were a number of matters. He didn't really go into very much depth. I felt it was more of a kind of sense of how to measure it and therefore utilize it in training people to play with more emotion. I think was what he was getting at. Is that the okay? The, so, which were measured in terms of the the kind of the, the the movement and dynamics and tempo of particular notes. So you get that ebb and flow, and how that was measurable to convey more emotion within music. Uh, I think that was kind of what he was getting at, and then trying to figure out how to utilize that, like I say, for for constructing and uh, adding it to to other performances and helping people achieve the same level of emotion. Sure. Um, so I suppose this kind of, I mean, maybe what he's referring to is uh, what what is known as playing rubato, which would be playing around around the beat or playing with the beat and also playing dynamically. Um, and these two things, in, in my opinion, and in the opinion of most music educators that I've ever met, contribute wholeheartedly to the expression of emotion in music and vary from player to player and are the reason why... Um, you know, which might be interesting to some of the listeners um, to the podcast that maybe are not professional musicians or professional producers is the reason why it's often recommended um, when you're learning how to program in a sequencer not to hard quantize everything or to fix velocities. Because when you do that, it makes it sound like a machine produced the music, but when you actually play a part into the sequencer or at least program the feeling of having played a part into the sequencer via um, you know moving notes around the beat or playing with the velocity levels of individual notes you will impart a more human or emotional feel to the music yeah I think that I mean would you Does that com- make sense yeah I think so I mean it was it's a lot easier it seems to be a lot easier to demonstrate into this in this kind of piano uh, side of things it's not I'm not sure that it's kind of well when it's a soloist I don't know rich would you concur I have my own feelings about this thing that I'd like to share with you. Yes, please do. (laughs) If I may. I find it amazing that in 2011, somebody is running scientific tests to try to determine something that was obvious to me by the mid-80s in terms (laughs) of MIDI programming. Um, And to that extent, I respect the fact that he's exploring it from a behavioral angle. But for those of us who've actually been simulating ensembles through MIDI and various other means for the last 25 to 30 years, this kind of information (laughs) comes extremely naturally in terms of the understanding of it. Um, Yes, people respond. As much expression as you can put into it will make a more perceivably expressive experience. And where that's desirable, that's good. And where it's not desirable, like when you have to do the sound of a calliope in the middle of an amusement park, then it's good not to do that and to know when to do it and when not to do it and how to do it. But I think those of us who've been doing it for a long time go, gee, yeah, <laughs> let me buy you a beer. I suppose. Do you think this is one of those kind of uh, situations where you get – it's it's like the kind of um, – the scientist tries to explain something that everybody instinctively knows anyway. Exactly. It's just like, well, okay, you know, if, if this was his path, far be it from me. <laughs> To stand between him and the realization. And if that was his path and if it occurred this year then or last year or whenever it took place, God bless him. But I look at this like, well, yeah, and the sky is blue, you know, and in other news, the sun is shining and will rise in the east today. You know, it's amazing to me. Right. No, no, I, 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 I kind oh. of... 
got a little bit of a sense of that as well, I must admit. It did seem kind of quite obvious, but with I'm like so I say, itching to go next. Go, go, Mark, go. I'm, I'm treading water, <laughs> frankly. Um, I think that he's got it all the wrong way round. And what he's... Uh, not Rich has got it all the wrong way around. I think Daniel Levitin, Levitin's got it the wrong way around. And I think that what he said is that this is an important first step. But it's an important first step in something else. And it's an important first step in understanding psychological conditioning. So what is it that makes a piece of music emotive and why? Why have we learned that when you slow notes down in a certain way, we all burst into tears? Why have we learned that as human beings? That's what he needs to be getting at. Not so much like um, why the music's expressive, but why we express those emotions in response to the certain musical patterns and passages. So people like Rich, who are experts in manipulating those emotions and responses from other human beings, should be involved in this kind of research as much as this guy, I think. I mean, it's all very well him pulling apart pieces of music and going, oh, why is this more expressive or less expressive? But really, we should be looking at, well, what does it do to people? If you play this, this, and this, that person bursts into... You know, every time you watch a movie, this happens. You sit in front of a film, a really good musician like Hans Zimmer will have me in floods of tears. And I'd I mean, if I had... You know, enough time. I'd sit down and analyze exactly what it is that he did. I suppose, but right. um, it's it's the conditioning, though. We're conditioned to have that response because it's been presented to us in that way, time and time and time and time and time and time and time again. And reinforced with imagery, particularly from, in, uh, in 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 moving pictures, of course. Yeah. Well, if you played it to somebody from Africa, they'd go, "Yeah," and. But if you played, you know, somebody who'd never had any exposure to that particular style of music. Mm. Yeah, no, you could be right. I don't know. Do you, what do you think, Gaz? Uh, it's, a, I mean, it's a really good, really good topic, I think. Um, there was a, a, a con, I can't show my ignorance now. There's a conductor who's just been voted by, I think, 100 contemporary conductors as the greatest ever conductor. I don't know if anyone heard about this recently. And... Um, and I suppose this is on a more kind of, uh, you know, you know, why does one conductor get a different sort of emotional response of the same piece of music than another conductor? You know, and obviously this is a like a bigger question with a, you know, a lot more variables. Um, but I think it's, I, I think it is a fascinating subject, you know, and I think that uh, it's interesting what Mark was saying. But you know, I, I kind of wonder um, whether, you know. Because we are, I can get all hippie now, uh, because we are all sort of, uh, a se- you know, complex sequence of vibrations and stuff, you know, that whether sort of um, music and the way that we manipulate this, another set of complex sequence of vibrations makes us kind of vibrate in a different way. Empathise. <laughs> yeah. Sort of physical um, empathy. There, yeah. there, there is, there is a, a point to that. I mean, I, I think Mark's point about whether that would be the same if you're talking two completely different cultures that have a completely different set of uh, harmonic rules that govern the way that their music is seen as emotional maybe would respond in different ways. Because, I mean, I certainly, for me, listening to certain sort of classical Chinese pieces in the theatre, or what, I'm not, I'm, I'll be fair, I'm not, you know, I'm not particularly knowledgeable about it. I don't get it, you know, so I don't, it doesn't have the same 
resonance with me. I don't know, Dave. Do you think it's it's do you think it's global or is this uh, something else completely? It's a cultural thing. I think I agree with uh, actually weirdly enough both um, Richard and Mark on this. And what was bizarre is that I was wandering through uh, Waterstones the other day, thinking I'll buy myself a book. And I found he's got two books on sale and I kind of thumbed through a couple of chapters and decided not to buy any of those books. I bought a Jar Wobble biography book instead. Because <laughs> I just kind of thought, oh, you know, it's all a bit blindingly obvious and whoever gave him the grant, I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not really having a go, but whoever gave him the grant kind of needs to rethink a, a little bit. It is some, it, yeah, I mean, really what Richard said, what Rich said, it's some kind of, you know, it's already clear. We've done this for ages, yeah, it's reasonably clear. I guess it's probably not clear to some, and I think exactly what Mark said, you know, you put a certain piece in front of somebody from Africa and they'll go, yeah, what? Put it in front of a Westerner who's been conditioned to that and they will, uh, they'll react accordingly. Mm. And put it in front of Nick, the programmer I, and they'll just say, it's out of time, quantize it. <laughs> well, and yeah, the yeah. other thing was this whole thing about, you know, dynamics and whatnot. There are times when actually no dynamics, where constant dynamics are actually quite beautiful in stuff like, you know, craft work stuff, that kind of cold that, and icy. Yeah. Beautiful. Sorry, PJ wanted to come in there. Is I know. After you've taken the right drive. Yeah, <laughs> PJ, yeah. I, I, th I think, again, we're getting a little far afield of the context here. I mean, you, you the, what you played initially was obviously a guy, um, you know, be, be speaking or being interviewed who has a limited musical context and was wondering why it was that the piece he was hearing wasn't moving him the way it normally did. Sure. Now, to any of us that are sitting on this panel, you can answer, you can answer that in, in five seconds or, or a minute of listening to a piece but of music. Doesn't have say, a, well, can I, I just want to stop. He doesn't have a limited musical context because he was a producer and he produced people like uh, Steely Dan and people with quite complex musical content so he he does have a musical context the the so, person that that was speaking on the recording that nick played for us was a producer yeah. a music producer yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Quite so it's purported producer. yes oh well then okay then i'm off base that's really bizarre <laughs> it's, it's no it is it's really bizarre it's really, I mean, why, why then you need to you know why a person like that somebody who has that kind of experience would need to go to science to explain why it is he's not being moved by the piece of music he's listening to that that seems awfully strange maybe uh, yeah i don't i don't i don't understand that necessarily but I mean, what, I what's, what's it really sounded to me like we were listening to a po you know a postgrad student i get the impression that, the that he's laying the foundation for some research that he's Got, you know, that's going to be yeah, the foundation that's right. that's research right. for something that will come later. I think it is. I, okay, I may so be we're wasting time, essentially, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I'm afraid I haven't got the tumbleweed available at the moment. But uh, find a point on it. <laughs> right. Okay, well, let's draw a line under that then and go straight into the first. Um, Rich, was it the first topic in the list that you were kind of, uh, that you did a bunch of prep for? I want to kind of make sure that I get that. I Nick, get... I prepped every topic on the list in full today. Wow. So I'm ready to go no matter where you want to go. I'm ready to go. Okay, well, I think we should maybe take a look at additive sensitive because I know absolutely nothing about this and I want to, uh, I want to explore it. So let me just play a little bit here. 
So Native Instruments have released this brand new synthesizer that's getting a lot of people excited. It's the Razer. It's a very, very cool plugin that you can buy and it is based on reactor technology. So what we're going to do is we're going to speculate on some of the technology that's going on behind the scenes. So we're going to build an additive synthesizer. That's what it's advertised as. And I'm going to set this up on this ensemble so that I've got just a basic one in one out instrument. I'm not going to go into the theory here because that's the kind of thing that we cover on the sound design course. So if you haven't used Reactor before, you're possibly thinking, what on earth is he doing? But we cover that in great detail on the course itself. So let's just go inside the instrument. I'm going to create some space here and I'm going to take away the input terminal. And we've got here the voice combiner and the output terminal. And I need to create the actual thing that's going to create the sound. So we're going to create an oscillator. And additive synthesis uses multiple sine waves playing at different harmonics. So I'm going to come down to built-in module, oscillator. We're going to use sine times four. So four sine waves. I'm going to take the output into the voice combiner. And the other thing that I'm going to do is create a MIDI in a note pitch. Obviously, there's quite a lot to that particular tutorial, um, <laughs> which I won't play entirely all of. Uh, but incidentally, that's um, via, I don't know the chap who actually did that uh, video piece, but it was part of the Point Blank Online, which is kind of a useful training resource. I mean, it's a, it's a pay per course kind of thing, and they do a sound design course, various kind of deeper synthesis things. But the thing that really kind of got, got me more interested was listening to the Razer, this new synthesizer from uh, Native Instruments, which I guess is like a packaged ensemble in Reactor, which seems to be creating quite a lot of standalone new instruments at the moment, if you take the Tim Exile stuff and all the other things. And I just didn't really know anything about additive synthesis, and I don't think I've ever actually tried to construct a voice using that. And uh, this got me thinking in two ways. One was... Ooh. I've really got to get a reactor. That looks really awesome for making stuff, even if I can ever find the time for it. And the other thing was, can somebody tell me what, what you can do? What, what are the characteristics of additive synthesis? I mean, where does that kind of really, what does it shine at? I mean, obviously the, the Razor thing is doing a load of, you know, heavy bass lines and raw sounds. Rich, you look like you're itching to go there. <laughs> um, well, first of all, it was a really brilliant tutorial on, on reactor. Yeah. And it made me want, like you, to delve further into aspects of Reactor because I've known guys who were very Reactor savvy and I know there's a whole culture of this and it's an area I haven't gone into. And now I can see why and I can see how it's sort of, I really believe it's their open development platform. I probably, I'll bet you they develop everything in there. But um, even if they don't, um, he was, I don't think that's Razor. I think that's him using Reactor to simulate what he thinks Razor's oh, going yeah, sure, to do sure. on a presentational level. Yeah. So I haven't heard Razor yet. I, was, I saw with interest that they were releasing an additive synth. Additive synth is one of the earliest ways of attacking the problem. It was uh, an attempt. And the early hardware ones uh, that I recall, actually, I went back and I did a whole, there was a Conbrio, there was a whole, but Synclavier did a very small voice count uh, additive synth thing. And uh, anybody who's ever tried to do resynthesis is doing some form of additive synthesis because these, they're using component waveforms to resynthesize samples. Um, the, the best known ones were the Kawai, I believe, K5 series. And from my research, I found they still have a rack mount additive synthesizer that they use. Really? And uh, it, it basically, if you, when you start enveloping 128 partials each individually, <laughs> some interesting things can happen. But the to problem is controlling. Yes. 
The problem is controlling yeah. all of that because obviously you don't want to be pro- pulling the decay down on partial 102 on its own. You just it, there's got to be some method of interfacing with that that makes sense from a sound design standpoint. And as somebody who hasn't really spent a lot of time using the existing hardware, I would have to defer to my learned colleagues on that one. Dave, you've put a bit of, uh, there's some additive stuff in, in the imp, isn't there? And I, possibly in more so in the imp too, right? Yeah, I mean, it's actually a really good way to kind of grasp the, the fundamental concept, which is essentially what that video is about. I mean, you have, I think we've got 24 uh, harmonics and a fundamental. And actually, do you want to have a quick look? Should we see if we can make this work? Oh, okay. You're getting <laughs> into multi-camera mode. Two-camera edit. Let's see if this will probably completely screw this up. <laughs> I'm getting the swirly, the swirly icon, but we'll give it a couple... Okay. I can see it on... Yay! There you go. Yay. So, yeah, that's the additive wave grid. And essentially, you pull up... That's the fundamental. You can just about see the uh, little yeah, lights. I can see. So there's your fundamental. And then you're just adding. So that's the fundamental sounding. And then you just add in harmonics from that. And these are just basic kind of triangle waves. So I'm just adding some pretty odd harmonics there. And... I'll tell you what it's great for, bell-type sound and organ-type sounds. But as Rich said, when you, get into, yeah. when you start getting into um, shaping envelopes of each of the partials and, and the harmonics, things become interesting and then modulating them and stuff like that. So it has a very kind of distinctive flavour to it, and uh, oh. it's one that I do like, actually. I noticed there you were using triangle waves. It, do, it, I mean, is there no, is there not, it's not written that you have to use signs, right? No, not at all. Hmm. No. Anyways, and, and things like alchemy can, uh, you know, analyse a sample and break that down into various harmonics and fundamentals and stuff. So I, I'm wondering what's going on with the razor synth, because that sounds quite um, traditional in a lot of its waves, and whether they're doing something clever to get, I don't know, well, I, I don't really understand what might be going on with that. I mean, if it's talking about additive synthesis, but from what I've seen of the interface, it's fairly straightforward and kind of something that you would recognise from a subtractive synthesis, because I'm guessing that combines the two methods, right? Yeah, um, to be honest, I I kind of it's a it's a weird week this week for videos because I looked at the Razor video and when it you know when Razor was announced and uh, again I just found the guy kind of a little bit dull. So I got maybe a couple of minutes into it and just kind of went, oh, I'll come back to that at some point. I don't know, you know, this week on all the videos, no one's talking with any real passion. <laughs> Yes. Was that the one that was there? Was it the Mac Pro Video one? There was one. Uh, on Mac, it was the, or was the. It was the the actual uh, Native Instruments one. It was this kind of guy. It was just a guy with a kind of really kind of pleasantly bland voice, just talking through and kind of monotone wise. And I just kind of went, ah, oh, I'll have to come back. What I want is somebody to go, and this is what we you can do. Magnus just Pike. Get me, <laughs> I want to get excited about things. Make me excited. Yeah, I understand. Mark, have you ever done much in the additive synthesis? Are you aware of uh, the additive synthesis kind of world? Uh, yes, I am, yeah. <clears throat> I'm aware of it in uh, lots of different ways, actually. I used to use a program, program called Alchemy in the Atari ST, which was good fun, um, which you could uh, run sample waveforms into and then play around with additive synthesis stuff. Uh, I had a Casio FZ1, which had very primitive additive synthesis in it. And as Dave says, it's very good for organs and bells. 
but more recently, I've got something called morphine in my computer, which is made by, I think it's made by the people that make the Fruity Pro program. Right. And um, as far as I know, MP3, although it doesn't work in the same way, it has, it's analogous with uh, the way that additive synthesis works. So for me, I've found that when I sample things into morphine, you can sample stuff in there and then you can play around with the, the, uh, the basic, well, God, I've forgotten what the terminology is now, the formants and there's a oh, okay. fundamental waveform and then there's all the overtones. So you can play around with all of those and decay times of things. But I find that if you do that with uh, fewer frequency bands, that you get the kind of response that you would get from a really badly recorded MP3. <laughs> and you get these sounds like bells and whistles swinging in and out of things. So if you sample a drum beat and put it in an additive synthesizer and play it back, if you don't use enough frequency bands, you get all these kind of, kind of weird... Uh, like backwards bells happening on the fronts of beats and things. It's, well, really, it's interesting. interesting to play with. It seems like it's one of those synthesis methods that suffers like FM does uh, from a, a, a difficult go, a difficult interfacing issue. Uh, PJ, have you, uh, did, did, I remember, did you used to have some Kawhi stuff? I'm, I'm kind of digging back in my distant memory. I may be well off base there. No, I never did actually. But I, I think you know we've we've talked about this briefly before. Um, I think in in relation to the morphine synthesizer and alchemy at one point, and I think prior to alchemy, uh, Camel Audio's product Chameleon Chameleon Five Thousand is that the name of it? Also yeah. does some form of additive synthesis and and resynthesis. Yes, it does. Yeah. And I think what what Mark's talking about, my limited experience with addi- additive synthesis is just playing around with the demos of some of these products. And when you um, resynthesize a sample and you start pulling partials out of the resynthesized sample, you start getting interesting comb filtering effects where you'll get those little weird bells and, and strange yeah, exactly. uh, sort of filtering noises and kind of almost re- reverberations and things like that. And it seems to me that's what this, uh, just from watching the video, that that's what this um, razor synthesizer kind of excels at is is providing a kind of interface for those types of effects. They call them filters. And I think what, what it looks like is happening in the spectral analysis view of, of these filters is that it's just uh, reducing the level of certain partials or pulling certain partials out dynamically and creating these kinds of effects, delays and reverbs and comb filtering effects that are kind of interesting when applied to, uh, you know, specific sounds. Mm. It's, I must be capable. I mean, Bell, uh, uh, Dave, you say, you know, bells. Uh, and also I wanted to say, obviously, you know, your interface for the uh, additive synthesis is way, <laughs> is much better than uh, than all the previous efforts. So you've you kind of cottoned on something there. But I think that, the, you know, it still seems to make a... Uh, make a case that, you know, is it just for bells? I mean, organ tones? I mean, it seems like there must be more to it if they're using it so strongly in uh, in, in Razor. Um, well, just sort of, uh, you know, additive synthesizer, you could say a, a Hammond organ is an additive synthesizer, right. you know, with a, you know, so where you bring in the different uh, drawbars in, you're actually, you know, adding different sine waves together. And the theory is, is that, you know, that 
any instrument can effectively be sort of synthesized by the Hammond by just uh, by knowing the right combination of drawbars to bring out and stuff. And um, just uh, just my experience, just my my ongoing project that I've talked about um, over the last few weeks about trying to use my little Roland Geyer to sort of uh, recreate um, some surf organ sounds. And actually, I've been trying to do uh, Hammond organ sounds using. Um, you know what is effectively a subtractive synthesizer in sort of analog modeling synth, but um, by bringing in different sine waves and then uh, uh, sorry, bringing in actually sawtooth waves and putting uh, a filter, getting the filter to sort of um, to go into self oscillation and then oh, adding more harmonics again, right? Adding more harmonics and then sort of trying to build up. Um, which I suppose is additive synthesis, isn't it? I guess. Yeah. Well, you're it's getting just... more. Thing. Uh, Howie, which I'm guessing Howard Scar in the chat room says, there are loads of synths that do additive these days, but it's packaged so you don't have to tweak every partial. Uh, Zebra Two, of course. So we know Howard does a lot of great work with that. So that I, I guess the thing is for me, I've just not been exposed to any of it. Maybe I need to explore a bit more carefully. It's just the meticulous kind of fashion in which you seem to be, you know, the, the theory of it and you're saying, well, this is how you make an additive synth just seems like, wow, that's kind of a lot of effort and a lot of work for some bell tones. But uh, there's cl- it's clearly capable of a lot more than that. Um, I'm just going to, uh, now, I would like to uh, introduce our advertiser because obviously uh, it's that time of the show where uh, we want to thank our sponsor f- for this week's show. I'm just going to flip to me. So you your guys, you can uh, relax your faces and go and make a cup of tea and scratch those parts of your body that you don't want anyone to see. Um, here we uh, While we say thank you very much to, to Yamaha for their continued sponsor, continue sponsor of the show. As we know, um, they make Yamaha make a whole boatload of mixers. They've got all kinds of different different types. Uh, we've got, as I've said before, I run the show through a Yamaha DM1000 digital mixer, but they have a number of different types of uh, boards. Um, they want to tell you about the MG series. It's got a lineup of 12 different models, uh, from an 8-channel to a 32-channel. Latest generation of MG mixers also contain unique features such as single knob compressor, which can really help tighten up the sound rehearsals, or we're recording in a rush. Uh, as Yamaha effects processing can also help reduce the load of any host computer. Uh, several of the MG mixers also contain a integrated USB ports uh, which can operate at 44.1 and take digital audio in and out for recording gigs or rehearsals. USB models also come shipped with Cubase AI5. Uh, and who knows, there may even be more on the way at the upcoming Music Messer. Uh, so if you're in the UK, head over to yamahadownload.com and check out the Pulse stores, which are kind of stores within stores uh, dedicated to Yamaha gear where you can go and check out one of the Yamaha mixers, run some sound through it, see what the EQ sounds like, check the mic amps, that sort of thing, because you can't be getting a bit of hands-on and seeing if it's for you. Also, if you're interested in some of the higher-end and uh, larger-format digital analogue consoles, Yamaha Pro Audio is where you need to go. So once again, we want to thank you very much for continued sponsorship of the show, yamahadownload.com. Oh, yeah. Um, Rich, did you want to go into Machine? I know that was a bit of a late, a, a late addition, but it's quite, it looks like it's really... We, we know we've talked about it a little bit before, but we've also got um, the fact that it's, it's now actually available. So I could play just a little bit of an intro movie here. Let me see. I'll do that. This is for all the DJs who've ever supported us. Darren Price from Underworld. 
and I'm here today to talk a little bit about machine, a fantastic machine. You know, we've had innovative bits of kit of equipment over the last few years coming in the studio that's blown us away. But um, machine is one that's kind of stood out over, over them all. I'll let you go and view the video at your leisure there because he goes into some depth about how they use that. But the, the, the thing about Machine 1.6, um, it's now sort of becoming a standalone host because it will run VST and AU plugins. Uh, so it's like a full-featured instrument host. And it looks like you can record MIDI clips and you can do all of that kind of stuff as well. It's got, uh, based on the powerful engines of Contact Reactor, you get complete elements with a 1,000 production-ready sounds and patches. I mean, they're really kind of pumping it as a sort of... That starting to move it really into the kind of MPC world where you've got a dedicated music production system without using it, you know, inside a host door. I know, Dave, um, you've got ties with Underworld. Um, have you seen them using it in action? I mean, is it, is it is it intuitive? Is it something that kind of you can pick up very easily and and use in that way? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it is. It's good. It's good and intuitive to use. In fact, it's really weird seeing that video because I got the machine. Ooh, we're probably talking about a year ago. And I was there whilst it was being set up, and then I went away again. And it's good to see it being used in earnest, really. So yeah, no, I mean they 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 do love it. They use it a lot, and um, it just again it seems to be evolving over time. You know, it looks like one of those things that you can get, because you can kind of mute in and out parts. And that, I, I, the way that they run their setup is they have lots of con, uh, contiguously synced workstations that can kind of take over and come in and out of. Uh, of, of of operation, so I guess it works really well for them. I, I, I've never really got into that whole way of working. Uh, um, Rich, does this look something that's kind of exciting? I mean, he, one thing that, that Darren says there is we could run the whole show off this given a few weeks' programming, which sounded kind of quite a bold claim. Um, I watched a bunch of different videos on NI's site for this thing because I became curious when I realized it's now hosting their instruments and it's become a full on production environment. And if you look at their products, starting from Reactor and now moving into Guitar Rig, and they become sort of these generic platform hosts for other things. Like now Guitar Rig is like much more than just a guitar thing. You can actually run all kinds of wacky processing modules through it, like I think the finger runs in there, doesn't it? And uh, the mouth and all those other products that they've got. So everything just sort of becomes this hosting, hosting environment. Um, and now it's really interesting to me to see them bring it to this product because it, they're purporting this to be a live performance environment that would sort of give capabilities not unlike an Ableton slash Akai controller or Novation controller setup. So that people can run it live and do all kinds of creative things and map pitches across the pads and switch the modes of operation and edit samples on the fly in very interesting granular ways and stretch things out and do all kinds of really interesting interactions. And across the videos I watched, it looks to me like a really viable uh, performance platform for people who are not necessarily instrument players and just as much perhaps for people who are now that you can host their entire world as uh as plugins in yeah. EU and vst within the thing 
Well, it's interesting to see it used because, I mean, traditionally they, they seem to have made real inroads in like the hip hop fraternity because you know, of the MPC kind of paradigm and parallels. You know, people have gone into it that way. But it's nice to see it kind of coming out as a as a, as a more of a global kind of thing. I mean, Daz, is uh, are you interested in the idea of a sort of an instrument like this that could really you could run everything off? Yeah, I didn't think I was particularly, but uh, last week I actually got to use the machine for the first time, uh, presumably not on the 1.6 version, but um, I did actually quite like it quite a lot. And, uh, you know, once I spent a little bit of time with it, I started to sort of realise a lot. My initial thought with it was that it was quite complex, you know, and a little bit overwhelming, but then you sort of kind of get into the workflow of it. And actually it's a very is a really quite enjoyable thing to do. And the, the fact that you've got these quite nice displays on there means that, you know, you're not having to look at the computer so much. And, um, uh, yeah, I mean, I have been sort of trolling the sort of secondhand market a little bit. <laughs> sort of I mean, you, presumably you'd need to run it on a uh, dedicated host computer, right? To, yeah. alongside your door if you were going to use it in that way. I mean, I'm guessing. It's like like those guys do. Because, I mean, if you, if you run that as a host... I'm, within a host i'm guessing yeah. if you're running machine as an audio units plugin you're not going to be able to run vsts and audio units within that if you see what i mean because that would just be kind of crazy yeah. stuff right yeah i mean i, I mean I, I was kind of thinking of it that you know because in my studio i've got my, like my desktop computer uh i sort of running it with my you know powered by my laptop and sort of um and was thinking hmm this is actually very tempting. So watch this space. I actually might take the plunge quite soon on that one. Well, PJ, sorry, I, uh, this is it's quite c- c- dis- disconcerting because I can't see you because I'm covering you up with my own uh, uh, likeness here. But I, 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 you are there. And I just wondered, you know, is, is that something that you would get into? I mean, I know that you're kind of perhaps in, you're into the idea of using a tactile surface for kind of music production. Would it, would it have a, a purpose for you, do you think? Uh, perhaps. I mean, there's a couple. There's a couple things that I that I have to say on this subject. Um, let's see. One is that uh, I I really do enjoy making music with surfaces like the one provided by Machine and with the functionality that that environment provides. Um, I used to make a lot of music with an MC505. I've worked with MC909s and, and, and SP808s, and I really, really enjoy uh, those types of environments. However, um, the fact that this is tied to a computer makes it a little less um, desirable for me. I, I would like to see something where you, where you could actually walk away with that, with that box. Yes. And uh, and work with it in, in in that kind of you know in that kind in that kind of way. Um, secondarily, though, or or an, another thing I'd like to say about this is um, sort of expanding on which what Rich was saying and what you're saying is that um, Native Instruments has been playing around with this kind of modular host environment system um, iterations of it for quite a while. And I do think actually, Nick, that you could run. I, I don't know this for a fact, but that you most likely could run machine as a plug-in inside of a DAW rather than having to have it on a dedicated host computer because there's precedent for that in, yeah. in okay. the form of NI Core, um, which is something very similar to this in that you can run that as a plug-in and host other plugins inside of that plug-in. And then it's just almost like a plug-in management system. And it seems like machine's ability, if in, unless I unless I read their data wrong and misunderstood these videos, it's it's limited 
in the amount of plugins it can hold. Uh, it can only hold up to one instrument and f and three additional effects at any one given time. I think is that is that. I oh, really what Everybody even in standard. I don't know. I don't know actually. I should. I, I don't know about that yeah. level of granularity to it. Yeah, it looks. It looks like that's that's the limitation. Is that you can hold you can hold one VSTI and three additional effects. Oh, well, that'd be in, the... that doesn't sound like an awful lot if you're trying to run a whole production, but maybe you can freeze or bounce or whatever. I mean, one thing that was interesting that Darren said in the video was it makes him work in a completely different way, and particularly when you're doing constructing arrangements like dance arrangements, which I personally find really difficult because I get terribly bored very quickly, and I can't... I kind of think, no, no, it has to have a pop edit. You know, you can't have 16 bars of not much happening apart from a hi-hat coming in. Whereas he was saying the fact that you're not tied to a screen and you're just looking at the surface, you go with how it feels. You think, I think it's about time I did. I made a change or something like that happened. And that that's quite an interesting idea because he was seeing how, saying how the hardware affects the creative process and, and illustrating that in a way that I'd not really seen or heard it voiced before. And I thought that was pretty interesting. And Mark, would you would you find something like this um, something that you'd want to use? I mean, could you for though for that very purpose, just to be able to take you somewhere else? I got so excited that I nearly bought it, and then I realised I probably don't have a spare computer to run it on, so I need to think about that a bit more. But um, what I got excited about, I suppose, is that my favourite sound throughout my music making career has been that kind of. Uh, granulated synthesis kind of sound so it started i suppose when i discovered that if i did a synthesized loop on an eps that i could make really long smooth sounding kind of grainy uh perfectly looping loops and then um the same thing with the freeze button on the quantec reverb or the v-synth where you can actually turn knobs around and sort of uh, move in and or through you know the granularity of a, a synth or a sample and find the sweet spot in that and i noticed that one of the first things that darren did in that video was he got a loop of something going and then started turning a whole load of knobs and just kind of zoned in on this sweet spot of this loop and then was punching around various different things and, and i just thought something that hands-on that I can play around with granular synthesis just to do that with would be valuable for the way I make right. music. So I nearly bought one, but um, I do need to think about where I'm going to run it. <laughs> what are you going to do with it, right? Dave, you, you, you saw them play with it. I mean, what recommended you it to them? I mean, did you have a chance to play with it and thought this was right at their street, or was it just kind of instinct? They were looking for, in fact, they were looking for new drum sounds for the last album. And it struck me as a way, because essentially what they do live and, and in a lot of recordings is just jam everything. So that whole, the, the whole thing that Darren was saying about um, not being tied to a screen and being able to kind of feed off the vibe from the audience was quite an important part of it. And we looked at kind of, you know, NPCs and stuff like that. And uh, I just spoke to Native Instruments and uh, asked them if they'd uh, zap a copy across. Right. Does it have to tie with the interface or can you run it in software mode if that's what you choose 
to do? Do you know, I'm going to be completely honest. When it arrived, I was kind of reaching the end of my little bout of work when it arrived. Uh, and there was a whole load of other stuff. We were, we were really trying to design, redesign the live rig to make it lighter and more portable because uh, it was costing quite a lot in freight. So the, all of this stuff arrived, and it's basically kind of Darren's job to make sure whether it's musically viable or not before he presents it to Rick, and then they'll muck around with it. And as I was finishing my bit, all this stuff arrived, and then it was time for installing it and doing all the updates and doing all the samples and everything else, and I left as that was happening. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know what it's kind of went... See ya. <laughs> I like the idea. I mean, because the one thing, it's the same reason I got battery. You know, I don't, I mean, I don't necessarily like the interface all that much, but the fact that it just had a whole bunch of really, they, they get source a lot of really usable musical sounds. And, and I know machine comes with a whole bunch, doesn't it? And you can access all the battery. You can access pretty much everything in it. So the idea of almost buying, you know, a massive turbo boost of drum sounds is kind of quite a, uh, uh, a thrilling concept to a lot of people and then once you get into the working method you kind of kind of start to see what you know what else and it can that, do for you and this was also a, a kind of a big changeover because uh logic was always used as the live um door it and then stuff was programmed via touch tracks and then there were separate outs going to the desk which were muted and demuted and then everything was transferred over to ableton so this was almost the kind of perfect time to introduce something new and just see if it kind of sparks a vibe mm. Interesting. Well, yeah, I mean, it's good to see that that sort of, because, I mean, obviously when there's a, a very strict working method, it's kind of quite hard for a, a kind of technical juggernaut the size of that touring rig to be able to sort of go, wait a minute, let's try something completely different, because that's quite, you know, one tends to stick with what you know and, and try not to, you know, rock the boat too much. So that's obviously got a lot going for it based on that. Obviously, Music Mess is coming up um, next week. We'll be going there on Wednesday. Uh, we're, we're leaving on Tuesday, actually. We're going to go the day before, which will give us a bit of time. I want to say big love and respect to Deckers. I don't know if he's in the chat room at the moment. Yes, he is, for sorting us out with uh, a, a German data stick for us to upload our content. So you can thank him, everybody, for the video that's going to be coming your way. Uh, and um, hopefully, we're going to have uh, a bumper crop. It does look like there's going to be a bunch of things there. I just wondered if anybody had heard heard anything there were a couple of things that i saw just the other day which i'm looking uh that's interesting um obviously there you can't have escaped the fact that there are uh, rumors of something large looming on the roland uh, front um like some giant flagship synthesizer something or other hard to tell from the teaser videos i must admit but uh, that's going to be something that we're going to be looking at of course um there's also uh this thing called dark matter audio which I believe one of the guys beyond, behind, behind that was involved in the Red Sound synthesizers. And this is a kind of a standalone audio processor, that, a high, very high-resolution audio processor and host. I'm guessing something along the lines of the SM Pro Audio stuff, V-Machine kind of thing, but perhaps with a, 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 an easier kind of interfacing aspect. I don't know yet. That's going to be interesting. Um, Waves, one knob. Anybody? Rich, you sent me the link for that. I, I, I saw that and I just thought, somebody's been working too much with a really difficult to please A&R man. <laughs> I think one knob actually does actually look quite quite an appealing thing, for certainly for a lot of people I know who uh, 
who just act that's exactly what they want you know just the one knob, the knobs, more yeah. or less of something you know and what's that i think they've got like seven different modules of yeah i can tell you what they are there's brighter driver right. fatter filter louder pressure wetter the wetter one i particularly <laughs> have the tagline for which is moisturizer for dry tracks <laughs> and basically these things are just a knob that you turn and you get more of the effect and obviously there's a lot of stuff going on underneath which might be the mix and all sorts of other parameters being controlled by it but it's being packaged as a kind of low cost they're native i think they're 80 bucks each and i did you know you check the videos out and it's clear it just sort of goes but the thing i notice is you notice it straight away for about the first 10 percent. then you don't really notice very much until you get to 70 or 80 percent and then you you're just tempted to probably just go full on everything and maybe back off a little bit because you might be overdoing it and and it was i mean the re- it was quite remarkable <laughs> it just seems to me that they that's what's going to happen you're not going to set it at 3.5 it's going to be yeah. nine <laughs> on everything <laughs> i know rich what do you think yeah. of this is it dumbing it down too much could you find a use for for this i think they're going to sell a million of these things i yeah. think i think it's brilliant i think it's from a product from a product placement standpoint Putting your company stamp on a one-knob product for folks who don't really want to know how to operate a compressor but just want to squish the vocal a little bit or add some reverb or whatever, I think it's brilliant. I think I'd love to see if it does well. I think it will. I mean, you know. There's... I'm not sure it's for me. I'd listen to it. Yeah. I don't rule it out. I just – it's I, – I've grown to love, I don't know, two or three knobs on a compressor at least. Now, when you get up to nine like the Chandler Germanium, I start to question my sanity. But – a compressor should have a few knobs on it, in in my view. But you know, well, there are some that don't. I mean, what's the some of the classics? I might get used to it. LA two A. It's not got very got very many, has it? It's like input. It's got two. Two. Yeah. It's got two. Well, there you go. <laughs> I find that comforting. Shaggy. Well, that's a it's a very familiar unit, to, particularly to US um, studio guys, because it's it's very much a US thing. But I mean. Uh, Shaggy in the chat room has a great line. I find that with presets and a lot of plugins, it's the tyranny of choice. I think we yeah. might have the title of the the, the podcast right yeah, now. Yeah. <laughs> I spend more time playing with them than making music. And I'm guessing that's kind of what Raves are aiming at as well. You know, Not only the yeah. the fact that, you know, I don't want to know how it works, I just want it to sound better. Uh, can, I just, can I just ask though, why do you think, I mean, you know, it's like 400 bucks for this like suite of seven now. Why? I mean, surely it should be like a hundred bucks for this, you know, these little, you know, that just seems just ridiculous. Yes, because it's waves. Expensive. You know, waves are expensive. That's the why rub. Do they, why? Why? Why are they just so expensive? They are. It's a good question. Yeah. And that's the Compared rub. To like with them I, always. Uh, Have you, you know, looked at their like. Yeah. Isotope 2, or you think they're expensive? No, no. I mean, I was just sorry. I was, I was just sort of just justifying that, you know. Compared the isotope, to isotope. Like, say, ozone, the quality of ozone. And the price of it compared to say what uh, you know the the waves things retail at you know that that's all sorry yeah, yeah no and and their stuff is not on the low end of the price spectrum anywhere within their line no it's so at eighty stuff. bucks a pop people are likely to buy them one at a time mm. you know what I, mean? I wonder how many I, I wonder what the CPU loads like do you think because you have less knobs it's actually less CPU load as well or is that <laughs> <laughs> It should. Surely that's logical, isn't it? Mm-hmm. That doesn't necessarily follow. I don't know. I kind of. I, I was listening to them and I did think, mm, yeah, some of them are kind of quite. I think the only one I didn't like was Brighter. That just sounded like a crappy um, exciter to me. Didn't sound like they quite nailed that one. I know, Rich, Dave, sorry, are you, uh, are you likely to, to try these out? 
I mean, I don't have any wave stuff. I kind of, I, I, I did. Um, uh, what's the word? I sort of vetoed it. I, I stopped doing it after I spent a whole bunch of money on them when back in the day when you had the ADB serial port dongle and they changed the the, the way of protecting and said, "Tough, you got to buy them again." And I just went, "No, I don't think so." Yeah, me too. Have you still got the dongle? Yeah, (laughs) I've spent eight hundred pounds in in USB to serial port adapters just so I can keep running them. (laughs) That's not true at all. No, I didn't. I I did. (laughs) I've got it somewhere. I I I still got it somewhere. But yeah, I'm sure I've told the story where I went to Sam Ash in about nineteen. Well, it must have been about nineteen ninety one. And went upstairs and bought the Waves Q10 and L1 so that for my um, for my uh, multimedia uh, audio production, so that I could get the best brick wall filters and maximization out of my 8-bit, 22, and 11K <laughs> samples that I was doing for CD-ROM programming. Oh. And that was the that was at the time the only way you could do it. Yeah. Mark, one knob, or would you prefer to tinker? I don't know. I mean, I. Oh, I must announce something, actually. I just did a track with a chap called Dave Barrett, who, d- who is doing a thing called The Beatles Complete on Ukulele. And he released <laughs> my uh, version of Get Back on Monday. So if you whack that in Google, The Beatles Complete on Ukulele, you'll find that in there. But in having taken part in that project, what I actually realized is that I tend to make music by just throwing all the presets on now, and I get really into making music and just writing songs and sort of playing around with the sounds I want to play around with. And when he mixed it, he did something completely different to it than what I would have done. And um, I like just making music really quickly now and just uh, kind of throwing sounds at things and hoping it turns out okay rather than tinkering around for hours. So for me now... I mean, if you'd asked me 10 years ago, I would have wanted as much control over as many parameters as possible, and I would have, oh, it's just made a difference to the 11K filter there, and oh, <laughs> would have been right no, in there care. with my ears. But but now I'm more, um, just give me one knob, and if I turn it and it does something I like, I'll use it, and if I don't, well, I'll use something else, and I don't really, you know, I'm, I'm afraid that uh, music technology's got so good that it's actually surpassed what i'm capable of so right. sometimes uh, a good programmer will make something amazing pj got any wave stuff will you be looking at this i mean this might be something that you know particularly i'm guessing for fast results you know in the tv world where it's just like i just want it let's see uh brighter or <laughs> or filter or driver you could just go yes i have this knob here just turn that sir and it will, everything will be as you wish uh no i i don't know i'll tell you uh i don't mean to digress but another one of the topics that we had on the list was the the new lexicon reverbs oh yeah the lxp released recently yeah i think i'm gonna spend my money on those instead yeah yeah this kind of thing you know i have enough compressors and reverbs and software i don't or compressors reverbs filters uh, eqs that kind of thing i i don't need a one knob thing and and quite frankly lately just looking at all the new software being released it just i'm i'm so unexcited by all of it uh, it just seems to me that this is a a logical 
progression for Waves as a company, given the fact that they did these artist series right. suites of plugins where they've got, you know, they'll have interfaces that say things like thump or drive or excitement on them, and and you turn a knob one way and and you get uh, you know, uh, several engines working under the hood that you know make make your bass sound fatter or your guitar sound brighter. It just seems to me that this is the logical uh, culmination of that kind of that kind of product, and uh-huh. uh, it doesn't it doesn't surprise me that they do it. I'm sure they'll probably sell hundreds of thousands of these things, but I won't be one of the people. Certainly saves a whole bunch of money on interface design, doesn't it? Sure. Maybe what yeah, they should do absolutely. is actually just have a button that's just on yep. or off, yep. <laughs> and that's and it. In, and in, ter- in terms of griping over the price, uh, you know, of these things, I think that. Uh, Software like like you know many many markets um, is is a dodgy one, and that they'll get what they you know they'll they'll get what they can for them. So if they if they put them at a price point of five hundred dollars for the bundle or seven hundred dollars for the bundle, and people are paying it, then that's what they're worth. Well, yeah, they've always been pricey, and, and on, so on, on a case by case basis, these have uh, got to be the lowest cost sort of plugins they've ever done. I mean, there's that you know I can't think of yeah. anything that's been under like three or four hundred bucks. For a long time. Yeah, but I think it's it's almost useless to to yeah. you know say why is this more expensive than that? You know, when you try to compare, you know, a wave suite against uh, you know say an isotope suite, um, you know, there's a lot of factors that come into play, um, including just the the perception of that product in the market. But I mean, I don't I don't know what either one of those companies' business models are. You know how many employees they have. Um, you know what they have in them. Well, yeah, there's also there's all sorts of stuff they've got to. Uh, yeah, but that's absolutely. interesting that you mentioned the lexicon one because I can ask you. You know, as you just said, I've got enough of this and that. But why? So in this case, why would you buy the classic lexicon verb LXP, which is uh, currently available three hundred ninety nine dollars, fourteen day free trial via an iLock? I mean, why would you? Why would you choose that? Uh, because I love the sound of lexicon reverbs. Um, what people are saying about these things is that they're a direct porting of the algorithms that they have in hardware. Um, I've used that hardware and enjoy that heart, the sound of that hardware. Um, I currently use um, Eltaverb as my primary reverb source, but there are limitations to what you can do with that program because it's convolution uh, reverb. You can't get down on in into the granular level of of being able to program the reverb so it's a lot about finding the right sound that will work um that that's an expedience thing you know finding the sound that will work with the material you're using and then and then finding ways to kind of work around um you know work around the limitations of that software um which which i love you know i I swear by altaverb i think it's a great sounding reverb but i I just am very excited about having um a native algorithmic reverb that sounds as good as the lexicon reverbs do yeah 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 so that's that's my reason i see you nodding there are you a lexicon guy i mean i haven't had i used to have the lxp5 and the lxp1 as a pair the last time I've I still got a pair of those in my closet right behind me. <laughs> the thing was about them, um, I could, uh, they always sounded too subtle for me, and I just couldn't, you know, live. They didn't, I couldn't get a good snare reverb out of it without turning the return up so high. Was, really? Yeah, I just found it was kind of, hmm. you know, didn't. I've always loved lexicon reverbs going back 30 years. Uh, they defined a sound. I don't currently have one, but when I first designed La Crib the first time, we had a 480L in it. Um, yeah. And uh, it's it's gorgeous sounding, wonderful reverb. Uh, like uh, 
like the way I like the EMT electronic reverbs, the 250 and 251 and such. I, it's that same kind of romance that I have for the lexicon sound. What's that 480 preset? Is it Bug Beans? Pardon? Bug Beans. Wasn't that one of the big presets for 480L? Oh, I don't know. It might have been. It might have been. And the piece and the 70 and 80 that followed, I think they were um, – I've forgotten the model designations, but they're excellent reverbs. Um, and I'm quite pleased to see this, and I'd be very interested in these products as well. I, I hear here to PJ. Oh, cool. Uh, Gaz, are you a, are you a, a Lexicon fan? I mean, I've, like I say, I've never, really found, I've never really found a way to make them work with the sort of thing I do. It's just too subtle. I'm a bit too not brash enough. I'm a more of a MIDI, MIDI verb two kind of guy. Well, it's sort of like a... It, they've always had a great thing with the modulation, haven't they? So like a PCM90, just having that lovely sort of just shimmering sort of reverb. So it is, yeah, it's quite a subtle thing, but wow, it sounds lovely when it's uh, in place. Um, I've, uh, yeah, I mean, I've, I've been, what have I been using? I use uh, Ether now as a plugin. I uh, don't know if you know that one. It's uh, 2C Audio Ether, and I can get a really nice kind of lexicon-y sort of lexicon sort It of, does that uh, sort of chorus sound. modulated reverbs, right? Like, like you used to be able to get on the yeah. LXP5. I remember that. It, yeah, yeah. huge, soupy kind of undulating, yeah. wonderful sounds. So that's, uh, yeah, so, yeah. Um, a friend of mine is a, a reverb collector. He's got about, um, he's probably got about 20 different reverb racks now because uh, everyone's selling them really cheap. I mean, he bought a PCM8. Yeah. Eighty, I think, for a couple hundred quid, you know, and um, yeah. you know, people are just so. So he's just started collecting them all, and uh, and it's really interesting. He plugs them all in, and you know, and then we just A B between them all, and um, and it's funny just how different reverb units have such different, really different personalities. And uh, he, uh, this friend of mine has really opened my eyes to that, really, and sort of um, some really. Uh, there's some really big surprises out there. There's a, a Behringer unit, believe it or not, which um, I can't remember the model name of it now, but um, in reverb circles, there's a really sought-after really? Uh, Behringer. Yeah, um, I wish I could remember the name of it. It's probably, but, um, a, it's probably a MIDI verb 2 inside, you see. I rest my case. <laughs> yeah, almost. <laughs> <laughs> of course I don't mean that, but, you know. <laughs> uh, the good people. But, yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, I find that the whole thing with reverbs is, uh, I don't know, I, I, I tend not to use, I don't think I'm using them very much. They sort of whatever's on the synth. Dave, are you, are you kind of sticking to the one in Logic or do you use, you got any lexicon gear out on outboard? I used to have some lexicon gear, the, the two little ones, I can't even remember the names, um, which were really nice. Yeah. yeah, and they were really simple and nice, you know, just select the preset and tweak. Uh, I find now that I... I don't use reverb that much in tracks, I mean, for vocal stuff, but um, for me, I would go straight for a sound designer. I've kind of got really into that over the years. I do like it. What, what, sorry, what's that? The Logic sound designer, that's really what I end up space using design. most of. Uh, spa- uh, a space designer, right. yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I've, I must admit, I've, I find that kind of cuts nicely. I'm guessing, uh, certainly live, I mean, it's still hard to beat a rack, a rack with a PCM90 or a PCM80 in it. I mean, or are most people now using outboard, uh, bringing along like a UAD or, a, or, or running it off a laptop and running pro- plugins that way. I don't know. I haven't been in the live circuit for quite some time. I'm at a sort of mid-level. I know, Gaz, you probably see that. Uh, is that still, are you still getting racks of, of reverbs or is that happening? Is that people using it in software now with an audio interface? 
there's still a lot of racks out there, I guess, and um, the old. Um, there's still a lot of people using Yamaha SPX things, you know. Um, just Red uh, Five. Yeah, Red Five. Yeah, Frank, he's got a Rev 5. Um, uh, I was going to say before with the reverb, though, there was one um, Roland reverb. Is it an SRV 330, possibly? It was like a 90s mm, one. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I know that it's reverb. Ab- it's amazing reverb. It's really, really, really good one. You um, could program the, quite heard. the spread and the bloom and all of that sort of stuff, couldn't you, on those? I seem to remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I was really impressed, actually. Drums sounded ace through it. And, um, and I was thinking, wow, I don't think I've heard that in software being sort of replicated quite as a... So, yeah. But I guess it's only a matter of time. But um, hmm. Hmm. Well, anyway, uh, yeah. <laughs> I was going to throw the gag in. If he's collecting reverbs, he must have a lot of space. But uh, I missed my point, actually, <laughs> in that particular, <laughs> that particular part of the topic. But... <laughs> But I mean, <laughs> does this lexicon plug-in do a 480 and a 244 well? Because that's well, I do, it seems to be it has five algorithms, but it doesn't actually. It's not machine models. It's based on the algorithms for it's like hall, plate, spring, room. You know, it's 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 based on space that... types rather than as far as I can tell. But I'm guessing well, a lot of the algorithm. Sorry, go from their flagship hardware, whatever that is. I can't, I can't remember flagship. That, that. Now, yeah. Well, that, that there's, an, there's an exact there's an exact model. It's it's the it's the big that big lexicon box that has the remote control. Their most recent. Well, it would have to be a four eighty or two four four. But well, it's probably I mean, no. There's there's one they do that, that's... and it would be worth having. But but well, that reverb has a sort of a, a a quality that you can throw a ton of it on and you don't know it's there, which is kind of brilliant for creating things that are supposed to sound real as opposed to something that sounds like it's a very digital reverb space. So, I mean, I love, I love that sound. I'm just looking what they currently make. That is the sort of the, the, uh, the granddaddy of their stuff. It's legacy. But the PCM 70 and the PCM 90 sounded nothing like the 244 and the 480. They were much more like that electronic reverb sound of the Alesis range, weren't they? Right. I, well, I don't know. I didn't really ever have them. And they, they were always, you get a PCM70 or a PCM80 in the visiting sound engineer's rack if he was, if they were the really big band. <laughs> the same. They, they'd be the sort of guys you'd mic the snare bottom as well, you know, really push the boat out. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, I think we must be uh, heading, I, I know we had a couple more topics that we wanted to get to, um, certainly with Mesa. I don't know if anybody else quickly heard anything that was coming out of Mesa. We sort of, we headed off, we headed off a little bit. Did uh, anyone else heard anything that might be coming for Music Massa? Dave, anything you can talk about without being arrested? No, I mean the only thing that I've heard. I, I mean, I, I know a reasonable amount about the Dark Matter audio thing. Um, we've spoken to them. I'm not sure how much I can say about that. Uh, but the only other thing that I'd heard is this potential Jupiter Eight Roland thing, possibly, maybe. Rich, anything that you can uh, you, you can hint at? Nope. Nope. <laughs> well, there we go. Then. But uh, Music nope. Master coverage is going to start next Wednesday, which is the 6th of April. We'll be heading there. Obviously, there won't be a show next week. There will be one the week after. Uh, Rich, you're probably going to be in Japan, right? 
Yeah, we'll see if I can make it. It'd be lovely to have you. I remember last time, I, I, I was uh, really, it was our first kind of uh, on the hoof, and you did it from the hotel room after the gig where you were still kind of wired and you were all out of kilter clockwise, and it was, uh, it was great, actually, to have you aboard there. Um, so, but... Well, However, it, I'll try however it, it rolls. Well, don't you know? Don't bust a gut. You know, you do the job in hand first, which I'm sure you would anyway. So, but thank you very much for joining us, Rich. Uh, have a great tour. Um, we'll keep an eye out on uh, Facebook and what's have you for any photos and other stuff that may be coming in from that. Um, Hiltonius, MySpace.com. Hiltonius, thank you very much. And uh, I'll go underneath me. There we go. There's PJ underneath there, represented by an icon. Next time, perhaps in video. PJ Tracy, thank you very much for joining us from your uh, fabulous studio in uh, Minneapolis, where you uh, continue to create Emmy-winning compositions, no doubt. Hope you have a great day after this. Thank you, Nick. Appreciate it very much. PJTracyMusic.com. And then we're going to go over to Mark over here, who's uh, looking very... uh, Oh, he's not still. I thought that your video had frozen there. Looking very relaxed. There you are, in your very black top. Mark Tinley, likebeing.com. I'm glad that your imagination has held us together for this long. I feel, I feel privileged that we've been able to hold your attention and therefore continue to exist in your reality. If, any, I, if anybody does know of any scientific studies which can prove the existence of a universe outside of the person that's doing the testing thought... I would love to know about them. Okay. Um, thank you very much for having me. I've, put, I've sent you a link to my Beatles song. Oh, brilliant. And, uh, no, I'll put it in the show notes. I'd love to, love to see that. Be great. Thank you very much. Yeah, and PJ, you. by the way, thank you very much for sending the link to your excellent piano playing. Um, that, oh, yeah. That yeah. was really, really yeah. good. I'll put the link in the show notes to that because that was uh, very impressive. Oh, Maybe thank Daniel you. Leverthing can come and, um, can, come and analyze you. <laughs> As long as he gives me a portion of his of his grant, I, yeah. he can come in. Yeah. You know what? I think there might be something in that, PJ. <laughs> maybe he can, he can lend you one of those nice Yamaha pianos. Well, maybe so. That'd I be think. fantastic. Uh, Dave Spears, G4 Software, up there, over to my uh, up above my head. Thank you very much for joining us. Also, I uh, hope you have a restful mess a week, and look forward to uh, hooking up with you on the way back, where we can talk about all the fabulous things that we'll no doubt be discovering on the show floor. G4Software.com. Marvelous. Thank you. And also, Gaz Williams, up there. At, in the green room. Thank you very much for joining us this week. I uh, hope you have a, a great week and we look forward to seeing you online next time. Thank you. That was Sonic Talk number 213. Um, it's a wrap. Thank you very much, everybody in the chat room, for joining us. It's been a fun show as ever. <laughs>